0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show's Expert Series, where I talk to experts in go-to-market functions that entrepreneurs care about. My guest today is Andy Young. Andy is a man of many talents, or as he says, startup Swiss army knife. Andy has been a serial entrepreneur and has started several ventures of his own. He has also launched the UK and Ireland's operations for Stripe and grew it from a handful of customers to major brands across the region. After that, Andy served as an advisor to several VCs, including Entrepreneurs First, where he was VP of Growth and Marketing, advising their portfolio of companies. In this episode, Andy and I will discuss growth and how to think about growth in the context of European startups. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion and uh, welcome, Andy.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me today.
0: Listening a little bit to your background, you seem to have had a very illustrious career. Maybe you can take a few minutes to give the listeners some background on how you came to be known as the growth guy.
1: That's a great question. It was definitely some kind of accident, I guess you could say, but it was the result of the journey I took through exploring Technology through to startups uh, and ending up in growth. I, I started out as a software engineer like years and years ago. You know, I was given one of those old Spectrum computers back from the 80s as a child. You turned it on and it was just a flashing cursor and it wouldn't do anything. I had to learn to program it in order to create the games that I wanted to play. That launched me down the software routes from very early age. My journey started out very technical, writing software. When I experimented with various sorts of ideas, also my father was self-employed, and I think I inherited from him the like aversion to working for anyone else. So I put those two things together and it was quite a natural fit for entrepreneurial ventures and software. When I founded my first major startup venture around about 2006, I was the co-founding CTO. I was the tech guy. To this day, I love building things. I love writing code. My, my journey was eventually discovering that, okay, writing code is cool. But if you build something that you think is great, but no one else wants, then that's a bit sad. So over time, over many years, almost too slowly that I'm embarrassed to admit, but that that took me into discovering what people often call product management. What do other people need? After a couple of years, I was like, okay, this is cool. But still, if no one discovers what we're creating, then it's still a bit sad. I never had any sort of marketing background or training or education, but it took me on this journey of, okay, well, I need to find some way of distributing the product. And along the way, I think I tried using data to analyze my own startup products for many years and did a really bad job. Um, at one point, had a bit of an of epiphany moment where it just clicked and I figured out how to use data in a way that for me was useful to understand what was working and what wasn't so that I could do more of what was and, and change the things that weren't. And I think putting those all together, it was this starting from a technology and a love of building things, but ultimately being motivated by value is created when people actually use and benefit from what you build.
0: Yeah. Maybe you can talk to me about what... Does growth actually mean these days when they say we want to hire a VP of growth? What exactly are people talking about?
1: Typically, people mean very different things. And to be honest, I really dislike the term growth for a few reasons. I've latched on to using it because a bunch of other people in the industry use it to mean specific things. But it's hard to know what it really means. Also something I've come up against working with a few different teams along the way. It's like, isn't everything growth? Why would we build product if it wasn't to grow? Why would we have a sales team if it wasn't to grow? That said, if we consider product and engineering, it's like building new capabilities or new functionality to solve problems. Growth is whatever it takes to take those existing capabilities that have already been built um, and take them to a wider audience So get more people actively using and benefiting from them. So that's like product versus growth. Now, you might say, well, isn't that just like sales and marketing? And uh, you know, go back 20 years, and software was sold in shrink wrap cardboard boxes in stores. And so all of the awareness and figuring out what product you wanted to buy happens before you actually bought the software, all of the sales, all of the marketing. These days, of course, it's completely different. And most everything is online. And it's incredibly common that you will create an account or log into a new thing, check it out before you even know really what it is or why you should be looking at it properly. You just have some of this vague notion that it's this product people are talking about. Or What rises from that is much of the discovery of a customer's understanding of products, much of the marketing, much of the sales actually happens after people are already using the product or poking at it or interacting with its features. I think the rise of growth is the fact that getting cross-functional teams, so like marketers and people who think about converting the customer to be working very closely with the people who are actually building software. So that the things that explain and resonate and help people understand what the product actually is are often built into uh, the product itself. And then there's, there's a second side of it, which is particularly online, people can discover products through other people using them. And this is where people often talk about viral features or referral features, or even just your use of a product is visible on social media or you know, on email or in your sort of work collaboration system. And so products can actually grow and spread through their usage without requiring traditional sales and marketing, which can be incredibly powerful. And there's all these cliches like Dropbox, for example, spreading this way, growing much, much faster than it could ever have done if they just hired a team of salespeople and marketers.
0: I had another podcast interview where we were talking about continuous sale. You're constantly having to prove the value of the product and also showing the value of the new features. But from everything you've spoken about, I feel like what you're saying is a little bit of product, a little bit of marketing, and a little bit of probably customer success or sales. Where does this growth team or function sit? How have you seen it structured or how should it be structured?
1: There's extreme ends of the scale. When you're an early stage startup, you're a team of one to two to three to five to 10 people. The entire company is the product and growth team. You have two parallel goals, which is to build out your product and get more people using it so that you can get that feedback loop of, are you building the right thing? Everyone's kind of working together on everything, whether you're remote or in a non-COVID world sitting around the same bank of desks. Even if someone's doing traditional sales and someone at the other end is running code and there's sort of people in the middle, but you're all talking every day, hopefully. As you scale out, you might split that team up into teams who are more focusing on building functionality that is on a known and validated roadmap versus teams that are focusing on distribution or go-to-market. The very other end of the scale is often when growth is introduced in incredibly large organizations like digital transformation, essentially, not to get too buzzwordy. And that's when you've got a, a large established organization. So I was working back in 2016 with a team at Quantcast. One of the things we were trying to do was rebuild an organization. They got some new leadership came in and we were trying to build this a new team pulling together people in the organization and some new people that were hired in to rejuvenate products product that had been around for years and it ended up being um, successful, thankfully. But that was about carving out a bunch of people in an existing organization and, and getting them to work together with a common goal. I think one key thing there is the cadence at which people operate at. Many, if not most of all of us, can either work on real deep work where you have long cadences. That's typically when you're building deep functionality. It takes a long time to build. And everything about how you work, your meeting cadence, what meetings you have, it's very particular to that. Or you can be doing what Sean Ellis talks about in terms of high-tempo testing, where it's very high velocity. You have a bunch of ideas. You're not just trying to throw spaghetti against the wall. But the point is... You're looking to validate which of your ideas have legs. And the single biggest way you can fail is not try enough of them. So the focus is on moving as fast as possible to just get a a taster of what is going to work out. And that's a completely different cadence. You want to be having at the very least weekly growth meetings where you're focused on what experiments have we run, what have we learned, what's working, what isn't. And one thing I've observed is that it's very hard to do both at the same time maybe you could do one or you could do the other. Part of it is like, are you focused on taking your existing products to, to, to more users or building new capabilities? Part of it is what cadence do you want to work at. And so I think in, in larger companies, there's often this approach of carve out a growth team, which could sit within product or could sit within marketing. And if it sits within products, you drag in like one or two marketing people and it sits within marketing, you, you know, grab an engineer, a designer. The, the key is getting a cross-functional team of people who are working together at sort of high velocity to learn what works for customers, what resonates through experimentation.
0: So if I had to summarize, the growth team is, first of all, cross-functional for it to be successful. Second, it could sit anywhere, but what it does is really a function of what the company as a whole is trying to accomplish whether it's this iterative quick experiments or sort of longer cadence of trying to increase the user base or something like that. I think it could still be a little fuzzy on what would you define the growth team's responsibilities as? How do you put KPIs to measure whether the growth team is actually helping with growth?
1: Yeah, yeah. So typically it all rolls up eventually. What the growth team works on is its inputs, but like the ultimate output should be more active customers and depending on the nature of the product whether that's b2b or b2c the dynamics of that end up being quite different your north star is typically something that is um, either active customers active users be it monthly or weekly or however it's appropriate to measure it or something that leads to that but typically the team will work on an input to that if one key aspect of the growth team is that working together cross-functionally so you can, can not work in silos and be unblocked and work together between marketing and engineering and products and design, etc. Another one is thinking about the whole funnel. Today, there's a bit of a almost inevitable reaction where people conflate growth with acquisition. Anyone who was previously an acquisition marketer, not anyone, but a number of people who are essentially performance marketers, like um, direct response, tasked with spending money and um, looking to drive specific acquisition metrics. There's been a bit of a movement to rebrand performance marketing as growth marketing, which isn't really where it came from. I mean, it's completely not where it came from. The idea of growth marketing was rather than just thinking about um, acquisition and going back to that traditional organizational setup, marketing people get qualified leads, throw them over the wall to sales, who convert those leads, throw them over the wall to products as converted customers and inevitably can get a bit out of sync in customer expectations uh, along the way. The growth team is thinking about the whole funnel now. So that's, okay, if we look at not just acquisition, but activation and engagement, and then retention, and then referral, the growth team will look at, first of all, getting that data infrastructure in place to map how are those numbers performing today and figure out where's the leverage, where should we start, as opposed to a more traditional marketing organization that would by default sit within, we're, we're an acquisition team, be it brand awareness or trying to drive direct response sign-ups. I think you know for founders, for entrepreneurs, it's something to think through. When you think of growth, what do you mean? Do you really just mean, I need someone to get me leads? In which case, you might be better served by thinking of a demand gen team in B2B or a performance marketing team. Or Alternatively, do you believe that particularly for a lot of B2C products or particularly in self-service B2B People often, as I said, conflict growth and acquisition, but actually retention is sometimes surprising to people when they they learn that it's the single biggest driver of growth. Brian Balfour at uh, Reforge has blogs about this a bunch, uh, amongst others, that the fact that it doesn't matter how fast you're acquiring people, but if all of them are churning out eventually, then you reach a point where... All of your prior cohorts are churning out in a, in a combined manner and it doesn't matter. You can acquire customers as fast as you like. You're still losing customers faster than you're acquiring them, which means you stop growing and in worst case, start shrinking. So often a growth team will work very closely with product just to make sure that that retention curve flatlines and that the product is good. Uh, and then from there, either go in like product-led growth, how does the product spread itself, like referral or awareness through its usage or, or viral loops or something like that or taking like a, a, a full funnel approach to, to acquisition marketing, but looking not just about how many signups we get, but are those signups activating and sticking around.
0: It sounds to me like this growth team could really be branded as a problem-solving team. They are people that are almost an overlay and can see across the entire customer funnel to figure out where the blocks are. And hence, what cross-functional teams need to come together to work on resolving that issue. Maybe you can talk about when is the right time to hire somebody that's going to coordinate, facilitate, or lead this kind of growth, experimental, analytical function, and maybe even some tips on what you should be looking for in in such a person.
1: I think that's a good way of putting it. It's like a problem-solving team, but specifically to the problem of how do we take the products we've already got and take it to more people? So to the question of when you do that, when you're an early startup or a new product forming an existing organization, the time to split out a growth team is when you think that you've got enough products there. The term product market fit is common. I'm a big believer in the concept of product market fit. I've been there. I, I come from a far off land where I can tell you it exists, it's real. We probably shouldn't use the term because people don't understand it until they've seen it, so it's really unhelpful. But the point is, there is this thing that that many call product market fit that you probably need to get before you can grow. And that's the point around retention because if you don't have it, you're probably churning out all of your customers sooner or later and any sort of um, attempts to get more of those customers is going to be fruitless right? because they'll all end up churning out no matter how fast you grow. So the when to get a team is like when you've got enough to play with. And that feels like your retention curve is flat. You have loyal, happy customers that are sticking around. You have a reasonable source of existing customers, perhaps, but you want to accelerate that pace. And perhaps your your product is established and you've got a solid V1 that's doing its job, but you think there's more potential to build in product-led growth, perhaps, where you can start building features that aren't core to the jobs the product does for the customers, but they can um, be features within the product that help other people discover that product through the existing customers using it. That leads on to the second part of that question around what sort of person you look for. So the question is like, what within what I was just describing, do you feel the opportunity is? If the opportunity is product-led growth you're probably looking to to bring in someone from a product background who's really strong on product design, execution, user experience, but is also data-driven and can experiment with a product design and engineering team about adding more features to increase virality or awareness, etc. If you're thinking that the opportunity is in activation or acquisition, then you might be looking for someone with more of that marketing background who is much more thinking through background and things like copy and what will resonate and what the messaging should be used. This is where you get into product positioning. People talk about the concept of the magic moment or the wow moment. It's the moment at which the penny drops and people are like, what is this product? I'm, I'm poking at it. Oh, I get it. This is cool. I could use this. And that might be a slightly different type of person. Or finally, maybe you've got excited about the word growth, but really you just need a more traditional demand gen team. You need B2B leads. And ultimately the output is going to be give these leads to salespeople The growth movement has come with valuing working cross-functionally and being data-driven and learning through experimentation. So it may benefit you to find people who are passionate about these things, but it may be that you're hiring someone who has a more traditional demand-gen marketing background, for example. The key pillars of growth, it's more of a mindset and a process than it is anything else. And that's already mentioned, like data-driven, focus on creativity, And also self-sufficient individuals and teams. So people with the right skills that as an individual, as a team, they don't have to block on others. This was one of the key insights of the um, creation of the growth marketing function at Facebook, where I worked for a couple of years, which was at Facebook, the whole data infrastructure is accessed using SQL. So in the Facebook world, they hired growth marketers who could write SQL. Reason being, they didn't want those people to be blocked, having to ask a data scientist or someone else on the team for the data that they needed. So in Facebook, that's SQL, but in other environments, it really comes down to how do you ensure with the technology that you're using in your company, that people will not be blocked and will able to work autonomously and make progress at a high velocity. Um, And as an individual, and that's also the idea of cross-functional teams, right? If you're working on a team together, then you're going to be able to get stuff done much quicker than if you have to constantly put in requests to some other team's yeah. backlog. That's just going to slow you down by like multiple, multiple factors.
0: I think the biggest thing about the kind of person you want to hire is really uh, the mindset of being data-driven, experimental probably somebody who can collaborate well with different functions, different types of people. And is a self-starter, almost like a mini entrepreneur that can kind of get things done. And, you know, listening to you, Andy, I feel like every company should have this kind of a team. Otherwise, we all end up getting siloed and getting into the weeds of whatever function we're doing in. And we have these KPIs and we're just kind of running that no one is there to do. All the things that you just mentioned should be done by this growth team and that are actually so important to make sure that we're doing the right thing and scaling the right thing at the right time. What you're saying seems like something every company should have, maybe after the product market fit and has some customers and as they're accelerating, they need to have this team in place. Would you agree? I think it's mostly
1: about applying the growth mindset and the principles of growth, which I think we can all learn from. There's another one, which is just that innate curiosity. It's it's very linked to the concept of growth mindset versus fixed mindset in and outside the tech world space. It's like always looking to learn, always looking to come with opinions, but strong opinions held weakly. That was one of the company values where I worked most recently with Entrepreneur First, where my title was growth, but the role I was doing was quite different to where I was working on growth at Facebook. It was incredibly different to when I was working on growth with the 500 startups portfolio, helping them. And my most recent role with EF was, was actually... Helping a cross functional team work together across everything from PR, brand, content, our go to market, all the way through to, in EF's world, the business we were in was finding the future technical founders of tomorrow. In many ways, uh, a talent acquisition function, and we had sourcing, we also had some digital marketing in there. Part of what my team was doing was essentially a recruiting function. That's typically not what you'd associate growth with, but my role was to help bring that, that mindset. and. Get the cross-functional team working together. Now, this will start being very familiar to anyone who's working in recruiting program management, where you start thinking about employer brands. What you're doing is you're running a direct response marketing function, i.e. outbound sourcing, which is kind of like direct response or sales, applying this sales and marketing mindset to it, but also thinking about the top of the funnel, the awareness, thinking about the customer journey when someone hears about you for the first time, we did a lot on product positioning, exactly how should we position ourselves, how should we describe ourselves to the market. And the growth mindset there was like helping all these parts work together, which was very, very different type of growth to, as I say, I've worked on in other contexts. But my role was taking those learnings, taking that mindset, that creativity, that experimentation. The other thing that my team was doing, very proud, and they continue doing that, was building out the global data infrastructure so that we could measure everything.
0: This is the European Startup Podcast. So I have to ask you, you've always worked in Europe, but you obviously have probably a global context of how startups work. Do you think there's any difference in how a startup in Europe should think about growth versus one that's somewhere outside of Europe? No, I think
1: the work that requires doing and the approaches are ubiquitous. And they're global. I think that is that pragmatism of how you get things done in the team that you're working with at the given moment. It's been a common pattern with many things in the tech industry that Europe often sits behind the valley on like a five to seven to eight year lag. You see it with with all sorts of things from the investment markets to how people work, and it's been the same with growth. It's been the same with product management. A lot of these concepts were sort of figured out from scratch, frankly, in the valley, and then. They spread across the globe. I think the work is the same, but I do think there is that pragmatic element of if you're in Europe, you're more likely to be working with people who haven't worked with a growth team before. And so they don't quite know what that is and how to interact with it. I spent a year out in San Francisco in 2016 and and crossed paths with a lot of people working in the growth space when I was there. It's a lot in common with even establishing nascent growth teams within larger organizations even out in the Valley. A lot of it was proving their existence and educating the rest of the organization on what the team is here to do. Concepts like get a small team of people together, get some um, support from leadership to give yourself space and time to have six to nine months to to really have a go at things. Because if you start running experiments and someone comes to mark your work after four weeks, it's very tough to be able to claim big success. So get that space to succeed and try and get a quick win, right? And so that necessarily is probably tackling a smaller problem demonstrating what is possible. That's what we were doing at Quantcast when I was there was showing by doing in an organization that previously was much more in that build deep technical software with longer release times. I showed up and got together with a couple of people and we launched a couple of experiments the next day. They weren't necessarily great experiments, weren't the things that drove big results. They were just showing that it was possible to do this. It's not that there's geographic differences, but depending on your team that you're working with, it's worth thinking about who you need to be influencing with what to build a growth organization for the long term. And that is more likely to be different in different parts of the world.
0: You took the next question right out of my mouth, which is this growth thing. Do you see this as a temporary function that's there to come together to fix something and then go away or disperse? Or is there a way to build sustainable growth loops?
1: There's almost two things I took from that 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 I interpreted a bit separately. Number one, growth should be sustainable. Otherwise, it's not really growth. It should be repeatable, sustainable, predictable. Otherwise, it's when people talk disparagingly about growth hacks. And it's like doing these one-off things that... They're little tricks that maybe they get a little bump or almost trick people in because they haven't seen the technique before or it's novel. But then people get used to what you're doing, the the effect stops happening and and then you're essentially back to where you were before. That's not what I would call growth. The idea is about how you can create these sustainable loops, these, these flywheels, if it's not an overused analogy, you're building compounding systems. That work, there's always going to be a place for growth team. And you see that in large companies where I was working with Facebook. I was working alongside a group of people who were applying growth principles across the whole company from working on Facebook Workplace, more nascent B2B software. But there were people applying these principles to some of Facebook, like Facebook app itself and WhatsApp and Instagram and, and multiple features within that Every time you add a new feature, you're almost starting over building a user base for that feature and focus on acquisition, activation, retention on a feature basis, and then scale a lot of growth or a subset of growth can become the optimization team. I think that's actually another common mistake is that when people see growth being done at scale in large organizations, it often is an optimization team because when your numbers are large, you're already operating at scale, getting an extra few percent here or there is really meaningful for the bottom line. And I think the the common trap is when people in early stage startups see that and think that that's the thing to copy and try applying optimization when in startups, numbers are small in the early days. And... Number one, it's actually really hard to do because you don't have enough throughput to run experiments to get the statistical significance to draw any conclusions. And you kind of end up inventing signal in your experiments because you just don't really have the data, but you don't want to conclude that. And or, that's just not where the leverage is. In the earlier stages of startups, or as I said, a, a new feature within a, or a new product within an established organization. Growth is, okay, are we at product market fit yet? If not, let's work with the product team to to learn from customers to get us there. And then, okay, how do we now learn which are the channels that we're going to require by and bring people in, which could be traditional marketing or could be product-led channels. And then constantly looking at the data. As I mentioned earlier, mapping out that funnel, acquisition, activation, engagement, retention, Mm -hmm. and referral, and just looking for where the bottlenecks are. Whenever you fix one bottleneck, like it'll move somewhere else in the funnel.
0: I had someone from Airbnb, I think he was the head of data analytics at Airbnb, speak at a conference. What they said, which to me sounds like another way of thinking about growth is, they had almost a data university, how to use data to do things, to read and to fix and grow and do whatever you need to do. And what they did was instead of having this as a centralized team that solved problems by looking at data, they actually put people and every function through that team. So there were people in marketing that could look at data and understand and run experiments and do things. Growth is everyone's business. Growth needs to be sustainable. It could be another model of having this idea that there should be someone who's data-driven, analytical, and has a mindset of experimentation embedded within every team, whether they're doing some other function or just that function on its own. Maybe depends on the scale of the company. As an example, you could talk a little bit about how Facebook's thought about growth and how they structured the growth function within their organization.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I can speak to that. I was listening to you laying that out there and what struck me was how larger tech companies structure their teams in general. So not even specific to Facebook. And also how they structure product teams in general. So not even growth teams. right? So in a large organization, you'll have a data scientist. A large tech organization, you'll you'll have or hopefully have a data scientist on many or or most teams. Growth team or not a growth team on a product team. And and this is incredible. Data can be used for growth, but can also be used for obviously a whole bunch of other stuff. So like at Facebook... The role of growth marketing as I had, they've since renamed it product growth. I think that's a sensible change to reflect the fact that we were doing more product-focused stuff and product analytics than we were doing what others would call traditional marketing in that particular role. There were other people elsewhere in the company with more traditional marketing roles doing fantastic stuff elsewhere but the role there like we would sit in a cross-functional team alongside a data scientist alongside a product manager alongside a product researcher alongside a product designer alongside engineers so you have these cross-functional teams it's it's a very fortunate place to have individuals fully focused on each of these specialisms now the difference between us and the data scientists in some ways, it's like hiring a generalist versus hiring a specialist. A lot of what we could do and the tools we would use, like writing SQL queries to access data, was the data scientists were probably better at it than us because they were doing more of it. But it's about how you use and interpret that. And so the growth marketing team was exactly as you describe, the folks who would come helping the rest of the team work through experimentation, like how to structure experiments, how to how to configure things, how to set up the data capture so that the data isn't corrupted, so that you can actually draw the right conclusions, like how to interpret experiment results. Uh, and a lot of that role was actually coaching and mentoring and enabling others to be able to do it, where as an engineer, you're not necessarily spending a high percentage of your time doing this stuff. And like so many things in life, it, it turns out that the more you do, the better you get. It's as simple as that. So it's like helping people who don't do this stuff all the time to get a head start with a bit of guidance uh, and then be able to sort of do it themselves so that they could learn what they were building was working or not. Uh, and this is great. And in, in large organizations that have, I don't know how you put it, being the insightful to go down that route, have these cross functional teams. This is fantastic. You know, startup, right? You have three people in a team. And the interesting thing is that they're still doing the same roles or should be. But the the thing is that each person is doing a, a combination of a bunch of these roles. Whereas at Facebook, we would have a product manager and a product designer and a user researcher and a data scientist. In a startup, a combination of all of that is the product manager. And probably the engineers doing a bunch of that stuff as well. So to your point, building that culture of being data-driven, it can be done by anyone. If you have a team that's really great at what they do, but needs to build that muscle of using data to experiment, then having a growth person play that role of a team coach or showing by doing, right? coming in, working with individual teams, helping them actually setting up the experiments, but then... In doing so, showing people how to reproduce that process. That can be a very efficient way of working.
0: My last question, and then you can tell me if there's anything I've missed. I know in product marketing, for example, in Europe, it's really hard to recruit product marketing. It's a function that you can't find people with that skill set as you can in America, for example. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how growth marketing, is that also a very hard skill set to find? Is that something that can be trained?
1: You're right. It's tough because there's not that many people out there with this title. And then, as we spoke to earlier, like a bunch of people that have given themselves this title or have had it given to them are probably just more traditional performance marketers or even content marketers, or they're actually a different flavor of person. Now, I would take it as a potentially a good signal that, like, if someone's latched onto the word growth, it's a signal that that means something to them. Now, I think the challenge is to figure out does that mean that they're really inspired by being data driven learning through experimentation they're really curious or does it simply mean that they got this sense that growth was the new hot thing on the street and if they call themselves growth that would mean that they get cool jobs you you probably want one of those types of people if they believe both then fair enough but like you're looking for one of those i think it's looking for the raw skills so people who have the right technical skills for whatever that means for your company like i said at facebook it was SQL, but in startups, it could be self-service mm-hmm. sort of tools like Mixpanel or Amplitude or you know whatever it is, Google Analytics. But they're comfortable with data. And then they have an experiment-driven like scientific method mindset. So they're able to structure an experiment, even somewhat informally, but they're able to test a hypothesis. They're able to form a hypothesis. And that's actually rarer than you, you, know, you might think. It's like when I interview for people, I'm often looking for that clarity of thought can people actually really put their finger on what is the pertinent thing here that we're trying to test? That itself is a skill. Um, You're looking for creativity. Like can people come up with given a problem? Can they come up with 50 ideas or 20 ideas for what to test? Like most people can come up with one. Those aren't the people you want because they're just going to gravitate to doing the thing that they know or the thing that they've seen before, or the thing that comes to mind. The thing you're looking for is that ability to riff off and, approach a problem from seven different ways and, and come up with a whole list of things that could be done. There's more to the list like customer mindset, customer empathy. I think the key thing about growth is finding what works for the customers. And so being able to get inside their heads, think about their jobs to be done. And there's, there's so many people who are great professionals, but they're really good at rolling out a plan and not so good at validating whether the people actually want What's being created. That, that leads into the experimentation. And then just things that apply to many roles but can't really be taught by like passion. Like people are just curious. If someone's curious and passionate about finding out what works and learning about new tools and genuinely excited to learn whether an experiment succeeds or fails, that will get you so far. That growth mindset in the general sense. I care more about the projects people have done in the past and how they talk about them. Do they understand them? Do they demonstrate curiosity? You can tell just by talking and it's less what job title they had or, or what role they had. So once you fix what skills are absolutely required, I think you can go quite broad, just getting a sense of what people are all about just by talking it through with them.
0: I think you gave some really good pointers in terms of what to look for in someone that you want to have as part of your growth function. Is there anything else that I should be asking about growth that I haven't asked Andy?
1: It's a growing space. It's a nascent space. I think there's a useful angle, which is, so you're a founder or a leader in the audience. We're thinking entrepreneurs. So if they've stuck around this far, if it's been sufficiently interesting and you're still listening, then I I suspect a a question is going to be more around, okay, well, I'm either looking to build out a team or hire someone. Or I have a team and I'm looking to change how they work in some way. I suspect those are are actionables. Um, And we we kind of touched on both of those a bit. I think for the first one, if you're looking for someone, the key thing is really to figure out what type of person you really need. I I think it's less that, oh, you need a growth person. I think it's more like, okay, do you need demand gen or content or SEO or product-led growth? And then, okay, you're hiring for one of these roles you're going to look to interview and and source for someone who has a growth mindset and some of those approaches that I spoke to before. Someone who's had an experience of running experiments high tempo and who knows what it's like and can take the lead on that. Won't have to be told how many experiments to run because they'll be doing it already. I've been speaking with a few conversations like that recently. And the thing that's helped is like really dig into a burning problem they need solving. I was speaking with someone who felt they needed a growth marketer. And then when we got into it, they, they felt like they needed someone for SEO. And then we got into the problem that they were trying to solve. It was that when they were speaking to people in sales conversations, they weren't converting them as much as they wanted to. They also wanted to find more people. But by the time you're trying to fix a problem of uh, better sales conversion, that's not an acquisition problem. Maybe that's a positioning problem or building the the product discovery into the product. So when people create their account in a self-serve model, they're able to to get a feel for what the product, what value it can provide and how it can be meaningful for them as the customer. In that case, it's like that, that person who's used to building cold start customer experiences into the product. So those are immediately like a bunch of different personas that are probably different people from different backgrounds with different careers where the growth mindset is like the commonality and the term like growth marketer probably doesn't help that much.
0: I think it's been really helpful, especially to me because I'm in marketing and I've worked actually in one of my previous jobs with someone who's in growth marketing. And the way I thought about it, I think it's specific to the problem that they were solving, which was how to get more people who had bought the software to actually use it. So they ran experiments like calling people and trying different messaging and seeing what worked. And then what happened is whatever was working, the marketing function then scaled that, which I think worked really well. But I think a lot of what you've talked about with the mindset and really understanding what problem you're trying to solve and making sure that you're getting someone with a skill set to solve that problem really helps to demystify this generic growth term that you keep hearing about. So thank you so much, Andy, for a really informative conversation. And uh, is there any resource that you could maybe recommend to entrepreneurs if they wanted to go deeper in this area?
1: Yeah, there's a bunch of great ones. The Reforge growth course is fantastic. That's like paid education, Brian Balfour, Andrew Chen trying to Replace the MBA, if I understood correctly, A paid course. But they've got loads of great content available on, on their blog. It's a great place to start. A lot about building growth teams, how to think about growth. There's some books that I'm a big fan of. For, for early stage startups, I really like the book Traction by, I think it's Gabe Weinberg, the founder of DuckDuckGo. There's two books called Traction. So I don't mean the one which is about the business operating system by someone else. The Traction book I mean is... It's four intro chapters where they talk about a process that they call the bullseye process, but how to iterate through finding your growth channels in the early days, and then 17 chapters or something, one for each channel with a bunch of interviews and, and case studies of how people have used each channel to drive growth. They talk about getting that 50-50 balance between building your product and working on growth right from the earliest day. That's really good. I think there's some other great reading resources. Sean Ellis' Hacking Growth is a great overview of the whole space. He's seen a lot. And actually, there's a very short read, Growth Hack and Marketing. I was surprised when I read it how on point it was and really sort of laying out what growth is all about.
0: Excellent. Thank you again, Andy, for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. I don't charge guests to be on the show and your ratings and review help the show stay alive. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, keep building.